All right. Hey, welcome back. That was loud. Uh, welcome back after spring break. Um, we're glad to have you here. And uh, tonight we have a very special treat. We have some friends uh, visiting with us from the Jackson, greater metropolitan Jackson, Tennessee area. I want to welcome Paige and Chase. And James, are you coming up too? No? All right. Um, some of you may not know who these people are, but you're soon going to find out. And uh, they are dearly loved by this community. And, um, and so we're going um, to just uh, let you share a little bit. Paige, tell us, um, tell us what happened and um, uh, how long ago was it now? It's been 14 months. 14 months ago. Mm-hmm. Tell, tell those of you that some of the folks are freshmen here this year. And don't know what happened 14 months okay. ago. Um, 14 months ago, we... Um, <laughs> 14 months ago, we received... <laughs> just looking at y'all's little sweet face, this just kills me. Um, Okay, <laughs> look. We received the call that no parent wants to receive, and that was that Chase had fallen. He'd been in an accident, and he had fallen about 20 to 25 feet, hit his head. So, upon hearing that information, we didn't really know what, what was going on. We didn't know what was going on here in Chattanooga. We were a long way away. Um, anyway, so we get in the car, and I'm crying my eyes out and my younger son 17 he said um mom it's out of our hands and um I really needed to hear that right then because I really felt like I could control that situation and I learned quickly that I couldn't that it was in God's hands everything that would happen from that moment on was in God's hands so when we got here to Chattanooga um they took us into the ER. Of course, we're greeted by a lot, a lot of you were there, um, and um, they were breathing for Chase. And so I just remember, you know, just praying beside of him, just, you know, sorry. I never, I never snort. <laughs> <laughs> that was a new thing for me. Okay. <laughs> See, that's just the devil. See, he just, he just wants to get me in this moment and make me feel bad about myself and he's not gonna work so um anyway so um to make a long story short um if that's even possible uh we tried they tried for uh, many days to keep chase from having to have a brain flap removed um his um icp kept going up i didn't even know what that meant but it means it's the pressure in your brain and, and it was going up so they eventually did have to remove the bone flap we thought that was a hurdle um that wasn't our biggest hurdle. Um, then um, he developed what they call ARDS. He got advanced respiratory distress syndrome because they had him on um, um, a medically induced coma because if he woke up, then it caused his brain to swell more, which caused him to um, be more at risk for further complications. So um, the day I woke, I woke up one morning thinking that the worst thing that was about to happen was he's going to get chest tubes because that night before the respiratory therapist had said that 
his um, oxygen was at 100% on the ventilator, and there, you just can't go any further than that. And, and our, those words rang in my mind, but I just remember thinking, oh, he's going to be fine. But the next day, we got up thinking the chest tubes, and, and they did put the chest tubes in, but um, about 9 o'clock, the doctors called us in and, and sat us down, and and they said Chase, you know, basically had about a 2% chance to live unless we did the ECMO, which would put him on heparin, which with the brain bleed would probably be fatal to him. Um, but we had 2%. We had 2%. So that's a, that's a 98% chance to die. So I just remember sitting there, and my legs were shaking so hard just from the shock of the news because I thought that we were just doing chest tubes. And um, one of the physicians said, if that was my child, and, and it, it's still a chance, you know? So I said, okay, you know, what chance do I have? So backing up just a little bit, the main reason that I really wanted to come even tonight, and, and Sharon Chase's story, of course, is amazing, but to say thank you, because um, so many of you came and held our hand and prayed with us, and we formed prayer circles. Um, we can only see Chase three times a day for 30 minutes at a time, and um, that's not much. Um, so you guys, there was always someone there. There was always someone there. We were never alone. And you can come here every Tuesday night. You can go to church every Sunday and, and say that you love the Lord, but until you reach out to a family, that is so in need and so hurting. We weren't, we weren't from here, so we didn't have any support. And um, so the day that Chase went on the ECMO, I remember, I guess, a, a, a pretty large text message went out to a lot. And I think 30 to 50 kids showed up, and we sat in that hallway at Erlanger just holding hands, just on our knees, really praying for Chase because um, the chances were slim to none. Um, but, you know, I, I remember we had a worship service that night, and I really didn't want to really want to hear any worship music because I just thought, you know, it's my child. And, but I remember in the middle of that worship music, the Lord speaking to me and saying, trust me, you'll stand in awe. I haven't stopped. Every single day he shows himself. Um, but the most important thing is with that 2% chance, that's still a chance. So, you know, I don't know what maybe you might be dealing with. Maybe you think, I have a 2% chance to finish the semester. <laughs> um, you know, but that's a chance, you know. And, and I guess I just so have learned from this experience that when you go through trials, you have to give it to the Lord. Because... I find myself, even now, after all these months, as I'll try to take it back, I feel like, you know, I can do such, I, I got this, Lord, you know, but I don't have it. I don't have it. And, um, and it's in those moments that I think I have it that the enemy says, you know what, no one cares about you, and no one cares about Chase, and no one cares about his story, and no one cares, period, you know, and you are alone because no one cares. They've all gone on with their lives. And the truth of the matter is, that is the enemy. And you have to be able to differentiate the enemy's voice and, and the Lord's voice. And that's not the Lord. Had I not trusted the Lord, I don't know. Had you guys not come and held our hands and prayed, 
I don't know. I don't know what the outcome would be. Um, so, this is Chase. I haven't stood beside Chase and talked about anything that happened to him, but of course he's itching to talk because he's my child. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And but Chase did not talk mm -mm. for six months. No. He didn't say a word. I didn't. He did crap. Nope. Nothing. <laughs> And now, yeah. now he says all kinds. Talk now he talks all the time. He didn't eat for seven months. He didn't walk for three. So um, it's been a journey. It's been a journey. But you know, Chase had the Lord in his heart. Now is Chase perfect? No. Am I perfect? No. Does Chase sometimes say cuss words? Of course he does. More, more times, more times now in front of me than he ever has. He tells me things I sometimes Should don't really want to yeah, know. Exactly. You know. Um, but, you know, whatever it is, it's what it's supposed to be. So I was telling David that when we went to the, um, the place where Chase fell, we went there on the anniversary of his, of his um, accident, and I was really um, torn about it. I even talked to James about it, and I said, you know, I'm not real sure, but I don't think I want to go there. I just think it's going to upset me, and I don't really need bad energy. But when we got there, it was like the Lord just said, this is how it's supposed to be. Is it the story I would have written? Probably not. But I trust him, and I trust his story. And, you know, the other thing is that, and I'm not trying to just say, hey, look at James, but he cried out to the Lord before I even knew my child had fallen and was in distress. And to me, that just says that that person, those friends that I prayed for for Chase when he was the little guy all through, that was him. It just I never had seen his face. And, um, you know, when I realized that Chase could have been with anybody, he could have been with someone who didn't, wasn't a believer, um, I'm so thankful that he was with someone who loved the Lord. And that it was his, his first initiative wasn't to say, call 911. It was, dear Lord Jesus, Father, Please. hear my cries. And... Um, you know, you guys just, you have so, such a great opportunity to really, you know, be the 2% chance that maybe people don't believe in or, you know, so, so make a difference because you can. And Chase is going to make a difference. The Lord didn't spare Chase for no reason. He has plans for Chase. We don't know what they are. But we trust, we trust that they're big and they're, they're great. And it's hard for me to stand here with Chase. Chase is a, for those of you who know him, a very strong personality. Um, he's a strong Christian, but he's real passionate and he just has a lot of energy. And I'm having a hard time keeping up with a 20-year-old. You know, I'm a little older, a little older than that. <laughs> don't lie. No. <laughs> but he keeps me laughing. Please don't. <laughs> But he keeps me laughing, and you know, else in here too is I just remember one day I was crying, and um, it's been several months ago, and he was like, are you crying for me? And I said, yeah, I, can't. I said, sometimes I just, you know, I don't understand why, why did you have to go through this, you know, and he's like, well, I just say, why not me? And if this is to glorify the Lord, then I'm willing to go through it. And so, I'm not saying Joseph. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Amen. Can we get an amen? I mean, come on. He didn't He's speak for six months. So God's the best everywhere. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess I'll turn it over to Chase because he's taking it. Yeah. I'm sorry, guys. I don't know if I knew all y'all, but I don't think I did. I'm sorry if I never met y'all. If I did, I'm forgetting. 
I, I, like I said, like mom said, I had a brain injury like, like near last year, about last year sometime, 14 months ago. Yeah, and I forgot everything. Like, I don't know most of y'all's faces. I'm, I'm sorry if I've seen anyone here that I know, and now that you know me, I'm sorry. I just, I just don't know. You're fine, man. It's fine. Thanks. It's fine. Pretty much, that's all I want to say, guys. All right. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just not a speaker. <laughs> You're doing great. Anything else you wanted to share? Um... I mean, there's so many stories yes. that we could tell, we could share, but most importantly, just thank you guys and for the meals and the prayers and the continued prayers because Chase is um, doing great, but he has a visual processing problem, which is where when he, he sees something, like his, his, um, his vision is fine, um, but when he sees something and it goes to the back of his brain, then it doesn't process it back out. And so... Um, We've been really praying about the right people to be in his life. To um, What they'd say is that our brains, all of our information's in cabinets, and then right now some of his cabinets, they're still, the information's there. It's not like he's a toddler and has to relearn it all. But you have to, um, some of the drawers are jammed a little bit, and some of them, the information kind of overlaps, like the sequencing and stuff. And so, um, you know, God is bigger than... He can do far more than we can ask or imagine. So um, I just feel like that in time that that, that will be um, the next miracle. But I do pray, I do ask that you guys will keep him in your prayers as he um, continues because he wants to drive his car um, every day, all day long. And um, he's just not there yet. And so, like, one day... I'm going to tell you one story, and then I'm going to be done. He wanted to, like, there was a basketball game going on at his high school, and he was like, and Cole had gone, and he was like, hey, you mind if I go up there? And I'm like, I'm back. And then he said a word. And, um, and, uh, and I said, well, I'm not, I'm not really sure about that. Yeah, kind of a bad word. So then he said, um, so could I just drive your car up there? And I was like, yeah, no, you can't. So he really wants to drive. He really wants to go back to school, and as he becomes – more cognitive and more aware it's becoming more of a struggle so um and i'm not sure who wants to talk the most me or him and so it's becoming a problem so anyway fun conversation. yeah so please please continue to pray for him um yeah well let me let me yeah. pray for you so, too let's yes, call or chase get up here and let's so, pray um heavenly father as Paige just said you can do far more far more than we could ever ask or imagine. And Lord, um, as Paige described, uh, the drawers in uh, Chase's brain right now, you're the one that made them. You're the one that can organize them again. We ask that you would heal in ways that we, um, we can't even process. You are the one who can speak life out of nothing. You breathe a second chance at life into Chase. Um, may we never forget that you are the author of life and you can take 2% and make it more than we could ever, ever grasp. We thank you for the gift of life that you've given Chase and Paige to be able to receive her son. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. Wow. Um, 
Thank you all so much for coming down here and, and sharing that. Um, I know a lot of you in this room may not have even known um, the extent uh, to which, and even as Paige was describing it, um, the extent to which many of us uh, wondered what, what God was doing and what he could do when the doctors and the surgeons and everything else uh, seemed so, um, they didn't seem to hold on to much hope. And um, yet Chase is here. He's walking. Something they thought that, that would never happen. He's talking. Something they thought would never happen. He's breathing. That for a longest time, a machine was doing for him. And um, we just are praising God that, um, that we get to witness truly what's, what's a miracle. So... Um, well, we're going to continue over these last final weeks. You probably don't even remember what we were talking about before, right? Right? I barely do. Doesn't, does spring break seem like it was longer than a week this year? It did to me. Maybe a lot of you are still at the beach or Philly or Boston or wherever you are, but um, welcome back. This is Chattanooga. You have four and a half more weeks of school. So let me ask you a question. Um, has anybody ever broken a promise to you? Ever? How about, have you ever broken a promise? And I know it sounds like a kind of an obvious question, right? Probably that has happened to every single person in this room. We have said that we would do something. We made a promise to someone. Someone made a promise to us. And we quickly learned that words can sometimes just be words. And promises are broken. And then we live wondering if the next thing that's spoken to us has any sort of meaning at all, any sort of weight at all. Tonight we're going to look at a person that, whether you grew up in church or not, you've probably heard this guy's name. Uh, He was Jesus' perhaps most famous follower. And his name is Peter. And Peter with his brother Andrew, were fishermen. And one day, Jesus just comes up to them as they were doing their work and called out to them, follow me. And we need to understand that, that for young Jewish men that didn't um, make it through the tests and the trials to become rabbis, they were the ones that went back home and did their family's profession. So Peter and Andrew were those that literally didn't make the cut. And so they're at their father's business, fishing. And Jesus calls out to them and says, come and follow me. And we don't get a whole lot into the mindset of what they were thinking when they actually put down their nets, they left their family, and began to follow. But we have to imagine that at some point, at some point, they thought that life with this rabbi, this Jesus of Nazareth, had to be better. It had to be better than the life that they were living. It had to hold more promise than what they were experiencing. Can you imagine day in and day out, getting up early in the morning, bringing nets into a boat, and day after day, waiting and hauling 
waiting and hauling fish. And this man appears on the shoreline and says, come and follow me. But we have to imagine that they began to wonder if there was more to life. And so Jesus was offering them, was he really promising them something different than what what they were experiencing? Fast forward about three years, Jesus and Peter and 11 others have been with each other day in and day out and they have seen amazing things miracles people being healed people being brought back literally from the dead and Jesus is celebrating the meal that was celebrated by the Jewish people and still is to this day the Passover meal celebrating the fact that God redeemed his people from 400 years of slavery in Egypt And if you remember the story, Jesus is taking bread and he's breaking it and he's saying now that this bread symbolizes his body and that the cup of wine symbolizes his blood that will be shed for them. It's ironic in the midst of this, at that very meal, this intimate fellowship around a table, Judas, one of the disciples, leaves to betray Jesus, to hand him over to the religious leaders for 30 pieces of silver. And at the same time, picture this. After Jesus says all of these things, the disciples begin to argue amongst themselves about who will be the greatest. Who will be the greatest? Jesus has just told them that his body will be broken and his blood will be shed. And these men begin to debate about who will be the greatest. And at the end of this, Jesus looks at Peter and he says that Simon, what's his given name? Simon, Satan, the evil one, has asked to sift you as wheat. Sift something as wheat, it's like a, a symbol for a trial, to test you. And Jesus says, but I have prayed for you that when you have gone through this, that you will then go and restore your brothers. What Peter says next is really interesting. After all of this, after all of this, Peter looks at Jesus and he says, Lord, I am ready. I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. This isn't out of character for Peter. If you remember in other parts of the, uh, of the scriptures, Peter's the very first one to acknowledge that Jesus is the son of the living God. He's the very first one to understand that he is the Christ, the anointed one of God. He's also the one that when Jesus says to all of his disciples that he must suffer and die, Peter's the one that rebukes him and says, Jesus, this will never happen to you. If you ever look at pictures, images, and art of Peter, he is often portrayed as younger than some of the others, but a lot more ripped and jacked up muscular and they say oh he's a fisherman but I think it is it's meant to convey some of this characteristic as if he were to say Jesus I've got your back no one will ever touch you and so you can understand that on that night when he says to Jesus I'm ready to go with you he was willing to go anywhere in the gospel of Luke is we're going to look at these two passages very quickly in Luke 22 If you can, there it is. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. 
But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. He replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. But Jesus looks at him and he says, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times that you know me. This is a story that a lot of us know, isn't it? Peter says that he's ready to go with him to prison and to death, but yet, in just a few verses, in just a few verses, he denies Jesus at his greatest point of need. The story goes on from this place, and Jesus goes to a hill outside of Jerusalem where he will later be crucified. And he goes and he prays there and he asks a handful of them, Peter being one of them, to stay up with him while he prays and yet they fall asleep. Eventually soldiers come to arrest Jesus and Peter, as is consistent with his characters, one one of the gospels say that takes a sword and slices off the ear of the high priest's servant. And at that Jesus picks up the ear and heals the man and he says no, none of this. And then when all of the disciples see what is about to happen, they scatter like a high school or a college party when the cops show up. All of them scatter. But it says that Peter follows at a distance. And they take Jesus to the high priest's house where the first set of questioning will be. And we learn that, if we can put up the next scripture, we learn that after, it says they seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance, and when there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him but he denied it woman I don't know him he said a little later someone else saw him and said you also are one of them man I am not Peter replied about an hour later another asserted certainly this fellow was with him for he is a Galilean Peter replied man I do don't know what you're talking about And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. What happened? What happened between the time where Peter said to Jesus, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. What happened when all of a sudden Jesus is arrested? Things look bad. Things have gone from bad to worse and Peter quickly becomes the man who denies him. You know, Peter gets a lot of bad press, doesn't he, because of this story. You'll notice something, though, He is the only one that follows from a distance. The other disciples are never mentioned. They all scatter. Peter does follow. 
But when asked whether he identifies with Jesus, Peter says no. Peter says no and he denies it. That was Peter's story. What are the times that make you begin to wonder whether following Jesus as a college student is really worth it? What are the places where you are tempted to live differently than what you say you believe in your heart? Where are those situations? What groups of people, what circumstances, what environments do you find yourselves in where you forget what you prayed early in the morning or at a time of great closeness with the Lord and at that moment you pretend as if he doesn't exist? It happens to all of us, doesn't it? In a moment of just great intimacy with God, we say things, we sing things. I'll never leave you. You're everything I have. You're all that I want. But then something happens that tests that. You wonder if in some ways, Peter and the other disciples wondered if Jesus broke a promise to them. You wonder if they thought that following Jesus would lead to certain things. And we can begin to ask ourselves if we have that same belief. That if we do all the right things, and follow Jesus just so. He's kind of obligated, isn't he? To make everything smooth for us. You wonder if that's what the disciples wondered too. I mean, think back to a second what I just mentioned about that whole story about them celebrating the Passover feast. They begin to dispute about who will be the greatest. Certainly somewhere in there, the message that Suffering and the gospel go hand in hand was lost. The disciples thought that by following this man, greatness surely could come their way. Now many of us in this room might not ever say with our mouths, well I know that if I follow Jesus just enough, that he's supposed to give me greatness. We have never say that with our words. But how many of us hold on to some sort of false belief that, that he's kind of promised us easy living if we obey him enough? Some of us have probably made vows to God, just like Peter. Some of us have probably, in a time of great blessing, of great happiness, where things, life is smooth, we praise him with our lips. But then when things start to go bad, where do those praises go? Do some of us believe that in those moments that what God really wants from us is a, is a vow to, to get it all right again? 
What he really wants from us is those words of promise to him. And if we just utter those things out loud, if we just say them enough, that God will hear and like some sort of cosmic slot machine, we put in our vow and he's supposed to give out blessing. But honestly, what happens when things go bad? I mean, Paige as a mother was standing up here tonight and very honestly shared with us she didn't feel like singing songs when she looked upon her son who was almost unrecognizable and was hanging by a thread to life. Does God get angry with us when we make these vows and we don't fulfill them? I think in a moment we'll see in Peter's life that the answer to that is no. He doesn't get angry. But perhaps we can learn some things from Peter and from the own experiences that we have in our lives where we have done this thing again and again and again. Whether it be a retreat that we went on or a summer camp experience or a spring break mission trip where we come back and we say, I will never do this again, or I am going to do this every single day now. I will never forget. Perhaps what we should do instead, instead of making vows to God that we cannot keep, perhaps we should be honest with him and say, God, you know my heart. You know I want to do these things, but you know me. And you know that I will most likely fail. So will you help me? Will you help me to keep these promises that I feel today? Will you surround me with people that will remind me? That will remind me of of the vows and the, the life that I want to live. Because I cannot do it just because I said I would. I think that one of the reasons why this story of Peter stuck out to me in thinking about this series about the life in between, where we've been thinking about all of these figures from the scriptures that were given a promise, but then things changed, and how they dealt with whether that promise would be fulfilled is very much like what we find ourselves in each and every day. Peter made a vow when he saw a certain amount of Jesus' life and his promises. And we do the exact same thing. We make vows to each other and to him when our view is so limited, not understanding what may come. Let me put it this way. How many of us realistically could feel like we could make a promise to someone or to God without knowing exactly every single thing that may come our way? It's almost impossible unless we know that God would help us to fulfill that vow. What we see now in our lives is just partial. We will see, Scripture says, one day face to face and we will know all things then. 
I don't think that God is impressed with our vows that he knows that we can't keep. There's nothing wrong with vows per se. But the ones that are made out of impulse or emotion or out of a a feeling that will simply go away aren't vows really at all. And God, I don't think, is impressed. But here's the good news. God doesn't retreat and go away, get angry or bitter or disappointed even when we make these vows. And here's how I know. In Peter's life, in Peter's life, Jesus did not leave him with a broken vow. When Jesus is raised from the grave in the Gospel of John, it says that Peter was back doing what he knew how to do, fish. And Jesus calls out to Peter and the disciples from the shore and they say, And he tells them to come. And Jesus prepares breakfast for the disciples. And he begins to have a conversation with Peter. And he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus looks at him and says, then feed my sheep. And two other times, Jesus asks the same question. And then gives him the same command. Jesus, in a very gentle, loving, and gracious way, reminds Peter that he doesn't have to make these vows that he cannot keep. He simply asks Peter if he will love him. And then he asks him to do one thing. Now, I could stand up here and say that this is for all of us, that that Jesus is telling all of us, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. But this is where I think that God, because he has so fearfully and wonderfully made each of us, that what he says to Peter is not what he would say to me or to any of you. He may still ask us, do you love me? But then what he says to you next is for you and you alone. I have no idea what that one thing might be. But I have to believe that it isn't complicated. It hasn't, doesn't need to be elaborate like some of the vows that we make to God. It's one thing. Perhaps it's for one day. Day by day by day. I think that is how God wants us fulfill the promises that we make to him he's not impressed with grandiose vows that he knows that we cannot keep when we cannot see what everything that lies ahead Peter was told to feed his sheep Jesus asked him do you love me for all of us My prayer is that we not feel like we have to impress each other or with God with empty words based on feelings that that don't last. He doesn't need that from us. 
but instead he will come to us. He just asks us to love him. And then for each one of us, he will look us in the eye and say, and this is the one thing today that I want you to do. Tonight I pray that as you go home, that if you have already, upon returning from spring break or you can't even remember what your New Year's resolutions were, that you would instead say, Lord, what is the one thing, the one thing that you want me to do? I know that you love me. And I know that you have heard me make pro- promise after promise after promise. And the good news is, is that God does not treat us, as Psalm 103 says, God does not treat us according to the way our sins the way our sins deserve. God does not treat us according to the vows that we've broken. But again and again he comes to us just asking that we love him. And then one thing, one thing, to renew that walk with him again. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, if this is the way that you loved Peter, knowing that many of these words, many of the words that Peter would say would not come to pass, then certainly You understand our hearts. You understand that in moments of pride and arrogance, we have said things that perhaps we even have no intention of fulfilling. And perhaps when things get difficult, when we are asked if we identify ourselves with you, we are quick to forget anything that we have said to you in secret. We deny our love for you in a million tiny ways. But Lord, forgiveness is real from you. Your love is real. And you look at us with love in your eyes and tell us the one thing the one thing that you have given us to follow you again. You do not treat us as our sins deserve. You do not leave us. You do not forsake us. And Lord, even though we are a people who will break promises, you will never break your promise, your covenant with us. For that, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.